Hi everyone, it's Julia Bainbridge, and this is The Lonely Hour. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that you can email me about anything, really, at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at lonelypodcast, or you can find me on the Lonely Hours Facebook page. I'm there. I'm listening to you, too. Now, here is Annabelle Dunn. This stuff is really embarrassing to talk about, but I think it's so funny the things that we do talk about and the things that we don't. I was, like, really not well. I don't know what got me into the pace of working hard. I tend to work hard. Everyone in New York tends to work hard. You just, that's what you do. Why else do you live in this town? So I couldn't say what got me into it, but all I know is that when I was kind of on the other side of it, I hit a complete wall. Um, And I think that happens to a lot of us. Like you get through the hard part and then when the hard part's over, you just collapse. And so I didn't really see it coming. I just got like sideswiped. Many of us can relate to burnout, but Annabelle's was extreme. Beneath the shiny Instagram surface of nights out on the town with friends and the errant weekend upstate in the countryside, she was reaching her breaking point. I think that we are in an age of self-presentation. I'm doing great. Look at all the things I'm doing and look at all the things I've got going on and presenting our best selves. No one wants to talk about the fact that, A, we're taking in everybody else's best self so much that we're completely losing track of what we actually care about. And B, no one can be like that all the time. It's not possible. Wouldn't it feel better if we did more things like this where you and I or anybody else can have a conversation about the fact that you don't feel great all the time? Welcome back to season three of The Lonely Hour, which we're using to share stories of people who went off the grid in search of solitude. Annabelle and I grew up together outside of Baltimore, attending what were supposed to be rival all-girls schools, but really, we were all friends. She and I reconnected years later in Brooklyn, and I soon discovered that like any good New Yorker, Annabelle had too much on her plate. The biggest thing was just feeling like I was on a bench press and my spotter had just walked away and I was left with this huge weight. And I was like, whoa, 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 is anyone around? Like, whoop. I just was so fucking tired. Annabelle is a film producer who works with Graydon Carter, the longtime editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair magazine. They made four films in as many years, which wouldn't be a problem for a big production company, but they're a team of two. I remember saying to my boyfriend, I was like, if he doesn't let me go, I'm going to have to quit. Like, it was it was so simple. It was just like, I have to do this. I have to leave. It wasn't just a New Yorker's ambition that led her to throw herself into work. It was some serious loss. If I were to break up, like, the defining life experiences in my family, my dad died 
very suddenly and tragically when I was 16 in a plane crash. I was in the plane with him. He was piloting the plane. It was on Thanksgiving Day. His girlfriend at the time, who was very dear to us, was also killed. And my sister and I walked away. It was a completely freak accident. My mother would have been in the plane if they were still married, but they weren't, so she was not with us. My father died in such a traumatic way, and it was an enormous loss, an incredibly shocking thing, and something that really, like, ripped him from us at a very, you know, very tender age. Sixteen years later, Annabelle lost her mother to cancer. Their two deaths couldn't have been more different. My mom's death was just much more of a full cycle. And that was actually incredibly healing for me to have a chance to properly say goodbye to somebody. And I found a lot of it really beautiful. At the very end of the last, like, several weeks of her life, I I moved home. I was the point person on all the meds and didn't really sleep for, like, weeks and weeks at a time. I liked things that I could control because it made me feel calm. So I was in charge of the meds and like all the logistics and helping plan the funeral and the program. And my brother was much better at actually like talking to my mom about things when she was out of it or scared or some of those softer, more nebulous things that are very, very hard to kind of look at and talk, you know, and he was really okay with a lot of the things that I wasn't okay with. And I was okay with a lot of things that he just didn't, couldn't do. So we actually were an okay team. With both of her parents gone, Annabelle wanted stability more than ever. But her one sibling would introduce another life-altering shift. The brother Annabelle mentioned earlier used to be her sister. My sister was gay and came out as a lesbian in her junior year. And Apparently, when she told my mom, my mom, the first thing she said, which is so classic, was, I think I'm gay, (laughs) which is like, okay, A, classic, because she's a social worker. She was always trying to make people feel comfortable and heard and empathy was a huge part of who she was and, you know, kindness. And I think she wanted to show that there was a spectrum of sexuality as far as she was concerned. But also be the second part of her personality was that she could take up a lot of oxygen in the room and a lot of stories ended up being about her, um, <laughs> for better or for worse. So, so that sort of encapsulates that. I don't know what her exact response was to the trans piece of information because I wasn't there for that first conversation either, but I imagine it was similar, you know, emphatically supportive and also quite worried about, you know, what that would be for him, how that experience would be, you know, very aware that that would be hard. In the beginning, I just felt like there was this person that I didn't really know, and I couldn't begin to know what he was going through. And he had been stripped of a lot of the identifying markers that I knew as my sister and my sibling. Um, They were gone because this person was trying to become a man. And I 
really, really, really missed my sister at that point in time, particularly. And for me, I needed to talk about the past with somebody and I needed to share the past because I felt like it was being robbed. It was being erased. It was like, well, who am I supposed to talk about our parents with when when our parents were alive? And frankly, that's what I want to talk about to feel good. You were Phoebe. So if I'm not really allowed to talk about Phoebe, then I can't talk about our parents. And that sucks. I've always been the big sister. We used to call each other sis and sissy. My sister's name was Phoebe. I can't remember the last time I called Phoebe Phoebe to her face. It makes you keenly aware of gender and like the role that it plays in our life from when we're very, very young, being told, you're a girl, this is what girls do, you're a boy, this is what boys do. Think about all of this. Anna has lost both parents. She's navigating the transition of her only sibling. She's thrown herself into an incredible amount of work, as I imagine a kind of lifeboat, but it ran her ragged. I remember seeing her during this time. We would meet in Fort Greene Park. She was tired and thin, and she seemed around the bend from making some kind of change. It was time to remove herself from her every day. Get out of New York. Go somewhere else. This episode of The Lonely Hour is supported by Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks. It's the largest collection on the planet, in fact, including novels, mysteries, memoirs, and more. You could listen to The Lonely City by the brilliant Olivia Lang, or The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. That's one of our illustrator Peyton Turner's favorite books. Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals from a changing list. Audible originals are exclusive audio titles you can't hear anywhere else. And one of my favorites is The Queen, an intimate biography of Aretha Franklin. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash thelonelyhour or text thelonelyhour to 500-500. Again, that's audible.com slash thelonelyhour. Audible has tapped the most inspiring minds. It's cataloged the most compelling stories. It's truly the best place to listen. This episode of The Lonely Hour is sponsored by Away. I'm sure you've seen these chic, minimalist suitcases around. They're made with German polycarbonate, a material that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but also super lightweight. You can choose from nine colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. And one of the coolest things about both carry-ons is that you can charge your electronic devices, anything that's powered by a USB cord, using an ejectable battery located near the handles. I spent four months on the road while I recorded episodes of The Lonely Hour, and I basically lived out of two away suitcases, a carry-on and a large, both of which have removable, washable laundry bags so I could stay organized. I never had to deal with a dead cell phone, and the 360-degree spinner wheels never stuck. Oh, and I chose sand for the color. It's a pretty nude that, while still a neutral color, which I prefer when it comes to luggage, stood out from the sea of black at the airport. Away offers customers a 100-day trial so you can test it out, and if you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash thelonelyhour and use promo code thelonelyhour during checkout. Oh, and there's free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. 
So again, visit awaytravel.com slash the lonely hour and use promo code the lonely hour during checkout for $20 off. And if you're in New York City, you can scope out some away suitcases at the retail store on Bond Street. I went to Sri Lanka because my mom had been there and she had done relief work there and it was a place that had really touched her. And as soon as I decided, I I instantly felt good. It felt like the right place. They speak English there. I'd been to India. India is really intense. I'd heard that Sri Lanka was, you know, like India light. (laughs) So it's a wonderful country and incredible people. And it was, that's about as much thinking as went into it. I mean, it just, it felt, it felt right. I didn't overthink it because it really almost didn't matter where I went. It really, really didn't. Because what I was doing was just kind of powering down. For one month, she'd have no schedule, no commitments, and no electricity. In a thatched hut perched over a lake, Annabelle had a cot, a camera, a headlamp, and 17 books. The real point had been to do nothing, which is really actually very, very hard to do. Your brain fights it. You know, we are so focused on output and productivity in our lives, and we're so inundated with things that we need to be doing all the time. I think I just read an article that we touch our phone almost 1,500 times a day. We might check it like 80, but we touch it 1,500 times a day. Oh, my God. So there was this huge period in the beginning, physically, of a physical detox from that. And I was a raging bitch. (laughs) I was really jumpy. I was super anxious. I was like the opposite of relaxed and I was really worried. I was like, what's going on? This is not, am, am I in the wrong place? Am I doing the wrong thing? And I had real physical symptoms of absolute restlessness. I could not sit still. And I realized after like five days, it was because I didn't have a phone to check. Once you detoxed, what did you intend to do? Like, what are you looking for? Um... You know, I feel silly like saying I wanted to just get back to feeling true and like real and authentic. It sounds so dumb, but I that that's that's one of the things I'm always kind of nervous about is you know, you rely on your parents to keep you grounded, especially my mom because she was alive throughout my adolescence and 20s and you know, she spoke up if she felt like I was veering off course morally. She was incredibly cool about like, you can do whatever you want. She didn't have any fixed ideas on what her kids needed to be doing for work or, you know, things like that. But she was very strict morally, like incredibly so, and hugely focused on being a good person and having a conscience and connecting with the people around you. And that's, that. I actually felt like I had lost, you know, when you're around like older people, you slow down. So I would go home to Baltimore and visit my grandmother and you're like, oh my God, I have to slow down and be patient. And this person's going to take a long time to arrive at whatever it is that they're going to say. And that's okay. And we can just be here in this minute 
and be with each other and nothing else needs to happen. I wasn't having that. The the norm was I didn't even recognize when I wasn't being myself because I usually wasn't. Sometimes there would be an experience that would remind me of maybe my mom or being little, you know, and she was a very unique person. She did talk to taxi drivers all the time. I remember when she came up to Sloan Kettering for her treatment, she, she talked to strangers all the time. She fed off of that and she really needed that extroverted behavior to feel good. So this trip wasn't just about powering down. It was about reconnecting with a piece of her mother, and in a way, herself. Annabelle was on a hunt to find Noeline, a woman with whom her mother had done relief work after the 2004 tsunami. This would be tricky considering that Anna was off the grid, All she had to go on was an address on the back of a blue airmail envelope that had carried a letter from Noeline to her mother 10 years earlier. How would she find her without the internet? Anna admits she cheated a little bit. She befriended a string of tuk-tuk drivers with cell phones who could make calls in Singalese on her behalf. And it took a while, but eventually, Anna and her team of aides found Noeline. She was like eight or 10 hours away. She took an overnight bus and met me the next morning with her cousin, which was like so cool. And we hung out all day. And I just, yeah, I I felt like I had to do something outside of myself. And I wanted to do that for my mom's memory and and honor her kind of spirit of adventure and just be with someone that knew her and that place had been you know hugely important to her and she had been a few times and I just wanted to be with someone that could tell me what she was like when she was there and just shared some light on what that experience had been like for her because when she was there there was nothing it had all been completely wiped out this little fishing village and when I was there it was like a you know, booming little tourist place was a surf town. So it was really different. What did she tell you about your mom that sticks with you? She said, my mom was wild, just totally. My mom would always do this. She would like push, 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 like connect with people. She was really a special human that way. I mean, she loved talking to people and helping people. And she would do that all day and then kind of fall into bed at night. But she wanted Noeline She only wanted to eat what the locals ate. She only wanted to be with the, like, she just wanted to completely immerse herself in that experience. So she said they would dance, they would eat all the spicy food. My mom did this thing. (laughs) It was like her battle cry. She would do it when we were in sports. This is going to be a little loud. (laughs) She would, (laughs) she would, or when she was really excited, I don't know she picked it up when she was really excited or happy anytime in life that like, or she was at a party or a wedding or did she go ay, 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 like that, like a battle cry. <laughs> and Noeline literally like halfway through the day, I was like talking something. She's like, you are so Seska. And I was like, do you? And she goes, no, ay, 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 you know, starts laughing. <laughs> so I don't know. It was just... She doesn't speak that much English, but we we were able to communicate. (laughs) 
I was lonely the night after I met Nolene. She had, you know, she had no idea what I looked like, but I walked, I look a lot like my mom and I walked down the steps of the, you know, building where she was meeting me. And I saw this woman that I knew must've been her. And she just burst into tears and was like, oh my God, you are your mother, you know? And I of course did too. And she had never really known what happened to my mom because no one had told her and she had no way, she didn't know any of us. So it was really emotional for her. I mean, she obviously figured that my mom must have died. I think she knew she was sick, but then her communication with my mom kind of dropped off and she, you know, just had my mom's cell phone number. I mean, these things, this is, this is how these things happen. So, and I'd always felt hugely guilty, hugely guilty because I knew that she existed because my mom talked about her. And I always felt so bad that I hadn't reached out to her and told her what had happened. So to close that circle was like, you know, just felt so emotional. And um, I missed my mom like enormously, you know, I just was like, I'm here. I'm in your place. I'm with your people. We're talking about you. So let's talk about re-entry. What did you think that would be like? I was nervous about re-entering. I knew that I would turn my phone back on before I left. I knew I did, you know, check in for my flight. I knew I had to do certain things that were going to require that. And I felt so deliciously away. And I really didn't want that to end. And I was scared about getting caught up in some trivial thing that would have like happened on my phone or I don't know what I just I felt so away and so alone in a good way and so completely focused and so present like the most present I've ever felt because you're only living in one dimension which is the one right in front of you Actual re-entry was somewhat different. I was like alive. I felt so good. Dinners with friends and people just catching up. Every, and, and I also, I hadn't had a drink for like five months, which was kind of an interesting thing that just happened to coincide with the trip. So I was really like alert. I wasn't putting anything in my body that was kind of numbing me or slowing me down. And I was just feeling like I hadn't had any like tech stuff, which I always feel like kind of makes me a bit sluggish. I was just super, super alert, like activated. That wore off a little bit, but Annabelle did make some changes to keep as much of it around as possible. She got a landline and an alarm clock. There is no phone anywhere near her bedroom. Her cell phone stays in the kitchen while she's sleeping. I try to make sure in the morning that I wake up I get up, I brush my teeth, I walk the dog, I have a cup of coffee, and then I check my phone, which is very, very hard. But I try to have the first like 25 minutes of the day just be waking up, not already taking in what you need to do. And if you get up early enough, it's okay. Now, do I do that? No, I often like check my work email or whatever, or Instagram or something. But I am so much better when I don't. And in the beginning of the day, just have that unrestricted time. At night, same thing, no phone, like an hour before bed. And she's been spending more time with her brother. 
my brother and I are definitely in the best place we've been with each other and just in life in as long as I can remember. We just took a vacation together, actually, last week. We were in Cape Cod, which was hugely, hugely healing for both of us. It was actually where the plane crash was. We went back to the airport where it happened. We had breakfast at this restaurant at the airport, which we never would have done. He had not been back since then. We went on go-kart rides, and we actually talked a lot about nostalgia. And my brother's actually a lot more nostalgic than I am. I like to keep things and I like to honor things, but I, he makes me look like a cold-hearted killer. <laughs> he keeps everything and loves, he really wanted to do the things that we used to do with my dad. So we went to the batting cages, we went to the go-karts, we went to the airport, we stayed in the same house that we used to stay with with my dad, which was, it still smells the same. I mean, that's like very primal, that smell of salt water, you know? And everyone always says scent is the biggest trigger for memory, right? Of all the five senses, it's the most immediate one. And so it was an intense week. Normally I close out our episodes, but I'm going to let Annabelle do the talking on this one. Until our next episode, enjoy yourself. We always know what's best for ourselves deep down and what might feel ridiculous or impossible is actually not and sometimes what we really need. And it's okay to take time out to figure that out. And it's okay to not know. And it's okay to be in a a long period of unknowing. And it's okay to do something that feels incredibly indulgent or selfish from time to time because everyone needs to figure out what's going to work for them. And if you're not in a place where it's quiet enough for you to do that, then you can make that for yourself. Absolutely. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with the help of executive producer Terrence Mickey and audio producer Chris McLeod, who also composed our theme music. Special thanks to Annabelle Dunn. Thank you for sharing with us here at The Lonely Hour. I hope you liked this episode. If you want us to keep making more, please become a member of The Lonely Hour on Patreon. That's the best way to support the show. Go to patreon.com slash the lonely hour. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the lonely hour to learn more. Thank you for your generosity and for believing in this project.